Well, good morning, Applewood family. Boy, isn't that just like Sarah to be meddling in our lives? Just like that. I tell you, I'm going to complain about Sarah a little. How's that? You know, I, uh, I do want to just say a, a quick word about Covenant World Relief. Um, if you've been a part of the Applewood family for any time, you know that, that each year we celebrate the, uh, the ministry of Covenant World Relief. And, and as Justin mentioned, we, we receive an offering at our Thanksgiving Eve service uh, for Covenant World Relief. They send us a video, and there are lots of different selections, and, and I, I get to choose. And I chose the one on, on water this year just because that is something that we can be so thankful for. Um, it, it so struck me and, and made me think back to the week that I spent in Senegal a few years ago and the, the deep water well that had been put in by World Relief just a couple of years before we arrived absolutely transforms people's lives. And so I would encourage you to, uh, to go online and, and check out Covenant World Relief. There's a great little uh, brochure in your bulletin this morning. gives you lots of information. They do so much more than just water, but that was one that just jumped out at me as I was, as I was previewing the, the entire video. But check them out, and I uh, would encourage you to to be supportive of Covenant World Relief this year as you are able. So let's pray together. Father, we come into your presence this morning mindful of that word. Father, Father, we address the God of this universe as Father. We want to have the truth of that just really work its way into our hearts and our minds today as we talk about being a people of prayer, it seems appropriate that we stop in these moments and just tell you how much we love you, how, how desperately we need you, and how we want to hear from you as we look at your word this morning. Uh, you indeed are a good, good father, and we are loved by you. That is who we are as the people of God And so we give you praise and we thank you for who you are and this opportunity to be together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, there is our series text. We're calling it the uh, November trifecta. Remember? Found in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Three verses, three commands, three Sundays in November. And the reason for the importance of these three commands, Paul says, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Was it something I said, Susanna? (laughs) Goodbye, Matthias. We're going to miss you. (laughs) All of these commands are are part of a list that that Paul concludes in his first letter to the the, uh, Thessalonians. Exhortations concerning practical how-tos, how to live out the Christian life. Some of them uh, just very culturally relevant to where the uh, that are relevant to where the people are living their lives. But it's these three and only these three that attach that qualifier. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Doesn't mean that the others aren't God's will for us. But I think the fact that Paul specifically attaches. This is God's will for you to these three 
makes us aware, heightens the importance of how difficult these are to obey, how important it is for us to obey them. We know it's the Spirit who indwells the people of God that gives them the strength to obey and to live in a way that that brings glory to God. And we want to remember Paul's words that follow these that we looked at briefly last week. Do not quench the Spirit's fire. Paul is saying, don't throw a bucket of water known as disobedience or disregard on a fire that the Spirit lights in you. When the Spirit prompts you, when the Spirit brings to mind the opportunity to live in obedience to one of these commands, we must listen. And we must be people who who live out these kinds of crazy commands. And these are crazy commands in the eyes of non-believers, in the eyes of, of those who, who are not indwelled by the Spirit of God, who are not, who are not participants in, in the grace that He has made available to them in Christ. It doesn't make sense to rejoice all the time. It doesn't make sense to pray nonstop. It doesn't make sense, as Sarah reminded us this morning, to give thanks in all circumstances. Who does that kind of stuff? Well, Paul's response is, my wife, yes. Do you think he knew her when he wrote the... Yeah. The people of God, indwelled by the Spirit of God, aware of what God has done, they're the ones that do this. I think rejoicing always, praying all the time, giving thanks everything, demonstrates perhaps more than anything else that we might do, that we truly understand the outrageous truth of what God has done for lost humanity through Jesus. And by believing that truth, we become children of God. You might remember these these words. I shared them last week from one commentator who says, these three commands penetrate the innermost recesses of human personality. I really like that. Obedience to these three commands empowered by the Spirit of God will make us different people. People who call attention to God because these three things just aren't normal behavior for people. So last Sunday we talked about what it means to to rejoice always, literally all the time. And we linked it to the joy of God. It is to be filled with joy at what God has done for us in Christ. You know, do we we think about the joy that it brings to God to act redemptively on the part of broken people? God didn't do it grudgingly. You know, Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that, that Jesus left the glories of heaven and came willingly. The writer of Hebrews tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising all of the shame that went along with that. God is a joyous God. And man, that looks like that excites you about now. Woo! He is a joy-filled God. Father, Son, and Spirit spend all of their time in joyous celebration of being God and what God is doing redemptively in his world. The psalmist writes, 
that there is fullness of joy in the presence of God. So, for the people of God, to be in the presence of God is to, is to be taken care of. It is to be secure. That's, that's really what joy gets at. Secure no matter what the circumstances. Provided for no matter what the circumstances. When we are in God's presence, and there is never a time when a child of God is not in God's presence. When we are in God's presence, we can be joy-filled because we are secure in who he is. We are secure in what he has done for us. And so the commands for us to be a joy-filled people, I think, really starts by being mindful, always being mindful of our privileged position in life. Who doesn't know Lee's response? How are you, Lee? So much better than I deserve. That is the right response for every child of God. How are you? Oh, I am far better than I deserve. Let me tell you about it. That's a joy-filled response. We are. Contrary to how nice you may think you are, even how nice I think my wife is, we are far better than we deserve by the grace of God. God has taken care of and continues to take care of what is most important, the salvation of our soul. And that privileged position is the key to understanding what it means to rejoice all the time and for the fulfillment of the next command in our trifecta, pray continuously. Okay, true confessions? You, some of you might have this translation. I remember as a kid... I memorized this text, and it said to pray without ceasing. Any of you have that translation? Pray without ceasing. Well, let me tell you, the church that I grew up in had pastoral prayers every Sunday morning. Those people prayed without ceasing. And I, as a young kid, didn't find that terribly attractive because it went on and on, and on, and on. And there was that sense in which, shoot, if I start to pray, that's what I've got to do to pray without ceasing. Uh, There was not a lot of appeal in that to me. Uh, Vic, can we put up the the next slide? So I want you to uh, just talk with the neighbor for a moment or two. What do you think Paul means by those words, to pray continually? That's the NIV's translation. Pray continually. Pray without ceasing. Keep praying. Ask someone next to you, what do you think Paul means by that? How's that possible? Give it a shot. Okay. Let's have a little feedback. What do you think? What's, uh, what does Paul mean? What's, what's he driving at? Okay. Always in communication with God, in our thinking, which will then affect our doing. Therefore, live into what has happened. Yeah, good. I like that a lot. What else? Preach on, brother. We're going to read that, by the way. <laughs> good, good, good. Okay. God does indwell his people. Gosh, he is near. We're going, to, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So energy for our lives as believers, you're tying to the idea of praying constantly, communicating. I'm not surprised, Craig. <laughs> Yeah. Life 
That's why I think hopefully where we're going with this is so important because, because Lee has really taken us down that path. It's the idea of just continually thinking, continually, as Ali said, talking perhaps to God who, who is near us, who indwells us. Just it's, it's working at small things so that when the big things come, it, it, is, it is a habit that we have begun to, to form in our lives. I'm with you. It's, it's not our natural response. That's what Paul's saying here. Don't quench the Spirit. As the Spirit prompts, even in small ways, we are more prepared, I think, to, to respond in godly fashion. Um, oh, man. I mean, the, the Scriptures are just are so full of, of those exhortations. Good, good. Yeah. So, we, uh, we wrestle, don't we, with, with what, what feels like a pretty awesome or ominous, if I can say it that way, task is what, what's, what's Paul talking about here? And I think, I think if we, as, as Lee was suggesting, just kind of separate it into what I'm going to call the, the, the prayer closet experience, um, then how on earth do we do anything else in our lives? The prayer closet experience is absolutely critical, I think, in our lives because we are, we are saying something about intentional taking time. God, there is nothing more important in my life. I mean, it just hit me one day. When I don't take time out of my oh-so-busy and oh-so-important day to actually be intentional about, about spending time listening and talking to my God, what am I saying about his importance in my life? It really, do I really believe that everything else that I'm doing is so much more important than he is? And so that is really important stuff. But I don't think that that's what Paul is, is driving at here. The Greek word that he uses, one that's commonly used throughout the New Testament, it's, it's, some, it's a word that's rooted in an older expression which carries a sense of, of worship. So it's, it's, a, it's a word that's used for prayer that describes expression of, of intent or giving worship to someone or someone else. Um, the possibility that you are awake early enough in the morning and you look out at the sunrise and you say, oh, thank you, God. What a glorious day. That's worshipful prayer. God, thank you for the beauty of your creation. Thank you for, for your power and, and intellect that, that has designed this. Those kinds of things are, are the kinds of things that I, that I think Paul has in mind. And how often do we do it? Well, it turns out that that, that translation that, that I heard as a kid, pray without ceasing, ceasing? pray without ceasing, <laughs> We don't want to do that either. <laughs> Pray without ceasing. That really is the correct translation. Without ceasing, without intermission, incessantly. In other words, don't stop. Not ever. My granddaughter, Leo, Kelsey's little girl, chatters all the time. My daughter thinks that she has some kind of a noisy syndrome. She is just noisy. She's just talking all the time. Can't understand a thing that she says, but she is certain that she's saying important things. 
Um, the little apple has not fallen far from the tree. And I reminded my daughter of a conversation that she doesn't remember when she was younger. As she was chattering incessantly, I just looked at her and said, Kels, does your mouth ever get tired? She looks at me with big bright eyes and said, Oh no, Daddy, why do you ask? <laughs> incessantly, there's the word. Pray incessantly, without ceasing. Paul is, is giving us a command, don't, don't stop. But also by, by virtue of whom we are, we are talking with, make it meaningful. Let our worship-directed words be constant to our God is what, what Paul is saying. Out of the relationship that we have with God, let words just flow to him about our life and his life. May, may our mouths never tire of doing that. I've chosen uh, this morning one of the most, I think, well-known passages of Scripture, regardless of denomination. If any person has ever been in, in, a, in a church for any amount of time, they have, they have heard this, they have read this, they have recited it. So let's, uh, let's stand together and read this familiar text, often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. I've told you many times over the years, I think that's misnomer. I think it needs to be called the Disciples' Prayer because according to Luke's Gospel, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so from Matthew chapter 6, this is Jesus' response. Let's read together. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and glory forever. Amen. Amen indeed. Sisters and brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, go ahead and be seated. Okay. Vic, can we put that next phrase up? Our Father. Our Father. This is a game changer. When we think about prayer, this changes everything. I believe the entire prayer, of course, is a a model for our lives in terms of of the the scope of our prayers and the concerns of our prayers and the the emphasis of our prayers. It's, It's important because it comes from the mouth of Jesus. He could have, in response to the question of his followers, teach us to pray, He could have taught them anything. And and this is what he taught them. And so the requests in this prayer, I think, have to inform and shape our our praying. But I believe if we're going to be obedient to this second command in our trifecta, to pray without ceasing, to be people who pray incessantly, I believe it is knowledge of the fatherhood of God that really drives that. 
Jesus' followers asked Jesus to teach them to pray. Why? Why would they do that? These were men, at least the majority of them Jewish men, who grew up in a tradition of prayers. Morning prayers, afternoon prayers, evening prayers, prayers for Sabbath, prayers for all kinds of special occasions in the life of the Jew. The Jews were praying people. But Jesus' followers saw something in his life that they linked to prayer. I think there was something there that that they had not experienced. Think about their life together. How often had they seen Jesus slip away early mornings or late at night to pray? They knew that he was breaking away to pray with the God of Israel, their God. And he would come back from those times with new directions for what they ought to do. You know, Mark chapter 1 is a great example of that. You know, they had been on this, this healing ministry and Jesus performing all kinds of miracles. And, and after Mark tells us that it had gone on late into the night, Jesus got up early the next morning while it was still dark, says Mark, and he went off and found a place to pray. His disciples, when they woke up later, went and they found him. And, and they were ready for, for the, the, the healing ministry to, to continue. Man, Lord, all those, all those folks who, who have relatives and friends that need healing, well, they've, they've brought them with them today, and they're lined up and they're ready for your ministry. And Jesus said, let us go elsewhere. Let us go to, to another town so that I may preach there also. I don't think it's, it's a coincidence that his change in ministry at that point was related to what he had experienced with his father in prayer. Because Jesus told his followers that he spoke and he acted based on what he heard from his father. And so I think they recognized in Jesus' life an intimacy with God like they had never experienced before. They knew that prayer was important. They knew, like we know, we're created beings and and we are dependent upon God. He holds our life and our breath in His hands. People all over the world and in every culture, they pray. They pray to their God. Because I believe that built into them is this sense of dependence that comes from being created, that makes people aware that that they need something greater than themselves to secure them and to provide for them, to care for them, if they're honest, to do those things for them over which they know they don't really have any control. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, and when you pray, Introducing this prayer, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. It's not the amount of words that's important. 
Jesus says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Just a few verses later, following our text, this prayer, he tells his followers not to worry about the things that everyone worries about. What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Jesus says, for the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do you hear what Jesus is doing here? He is exploding their paradigm of prayer with an invitation to address the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who crushed the Egyptians and parted the Red Sea, the God who shook Mount Sinai with fire and smoke, the one whom Isaiah saw high and exalted, his robe filling the temple, and as a result, he cried out, I am a dead man. That God, Yahweh, address that God, said Jesus to his followers. Address him as Father. My sisters, my brothers, we... We need to hear his invitation to those first followers as our invitation. If we're going to be people who pray incessantly, pray without ceasing, pray with not ever stopping, then we must, I think, see prayer as an invitation to relationship with the God who made us for himself and loves us more than we can even imagine. Is that how we think of prayer? Prayer is an invitation to enjoy relationship with the God who loves you more than you can imagine. Just think about that for a moment. Think about being loved by the God of the universe beyond any love that you have ever experienced. Loves you not because of what you've done. Doesn't love you for your good looks or your money or your intelligence or your abilities. He loves you because he is love and he has chosen to love and to redeem you for himself. And then let me ask you, How often do you find yourself praying out of that awareness? I think that's at the heart of what Paul is driving at here. We pray out of an awareness of who God is to us and what he has done for us in Jesus So prayer is definitely an expression of dependency because we are created. But for the people of God, it's also an invitation to relationship with our Creator as our Father. And and Jesus says so clearly in those two texts before and after the prayer, your Heavenly Father knows what you need. I, I read into that, and forgive me if I'm reading too much, I can just almost hear Jesus saying as a PS, so... 
Quit spending so much time praying about what you need. Because your Father knows what you need. Of course there's a place for us to express our needs. That's what creatures do. You know, Piper, John Piper loves to say there's nothing that brings God greater glory than when the creature expresses his or her dependence upon the Creator. Absolutely. Absolutely. But again, the balance of this entire prayer that Jesus offers to us, let us uh, use that to inform our praying and, and to make us realize how little there is of praying for personal need there in that category or in that, in that prayer. That category of prayer is what I want to say. It's an invitation to relationship with our Creator as Father. And Jesus assures us that that Father knows what we need. Which means then that our prayer can actually become a conversation, talking and listening. Telling God how we feel. Inquiring as to how He feels. Expressing our emotions, our concerns, our joys inquiring of him regarding his emotions, his feelings, his joys. Does that sound just a little too personal? He's our father. My kids have done that with me. Those of you who are parents, I'll bet your kids have done that with you. Or they will, if they're still little. Conversations between my kids and me have have changed so much over the years. When, When they were little, oh my gosh, there was just a lot of asking. Because they were, they were children. Children are, by definition, needy creatures. And parents are the need meters. And so they ask and they ask and they ask. As they became adults, we began to have more adult conversations. One of the greatest joys of my life is to sit in the room, usually around the holidays when all of my kids are together, And just listen to the conversation. Oh my goodness. And I think to myself, these are not my little children any longer. Duh. It's just remarkable. And and on occasion, more often than not these days, they actually express an interest in me. And in my life. So dad, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Do you ever go to the God of the universe who is your father and say to him, so, Papa God, how are you today? I don't think he minds that question. Even though you may be pretty confident that he's just fine. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an intimacy that we want to work into that fuels our praying incessantly and nonstop. To inquire and to listen. Isn't that what healthy adults do in healthy relationships? You know, the, the thing that, that, that like psychologists call narcissism is, is when a person makes life about themselves. Oh, for heaven's sakes, let's don't be narcissistic prayers. This is not about us. This is about a relationship with the God who has revealed himself to us as Father, Jesus 
is inviting us into a relationship with God as our Father. Suddenly, the possibility that we could be praying incessantly doesn't seem so unrealistic to me. We're going through our days in conversation with our Father who is always with us, always near, intimately involved and interested in our daily living. Do we express love for Him? Do we express interest in Him? Do we inquire as to His feelings, His thoughts, His heart? Does this seem reasonable or does this seem wacky? You know, there's, there's, I, trust me, you know, I grew up in reform circles. And so there's a part of me that just wants to keep God transcendent and mighty and distant because that's safe. It's also sterile and void of intimacy and maybe the possibility of, of warmth of relationship that I think Jesus invites us to in relationship. You know, Paul, Paul has the nerve to say that he is our Abba. We've talked about this before. He says to the Romans, to those who have become his children in Christ, he gives them the privilege of of referring to God as Abba, the Aramaic equivalent for our daddy. That's outrageous. So we pray because we're dependent creatures. But prayer for the people of God is more than expressing dependence because we've been adopted by God into his family. Praying incessantly then becomes more and more a way of living because we hopefully are growing into adult followers of Jesus who no longer plead and whine too often, but actually interact and and express interest in our Heavenly Father as we grow and mature. Our relationship with our Heavenly Father becomes that, a relationship where we are not children who are constantly worried and fretful and needy, but maturing and trusting and confident in His care. And Craig, back to your point, I think it only happens with practice. Doug, to your point, it is a standing thing. Absolutely. It's, it's who we are in Christ. We can take steps to live into that on a daily basis, to cultivate that, to, to open our, our minds and our thinking to, to the prompting and the speaking of the Spirit of God. I, I don't think Jesus would have called us to this. Paul would not have commanded this if it were not a possibility. I read an amazing article, Business Insider, August of just this last year. There was a conversation with a commercial airline pilot who flies big Boeings. They said 747, 757s. This pilot says, the number one anxiety of passengers is turbulence. I can remember a flight years ago coming from Portland when my parents still lived there. We were living in New England years and years ago. We're catching a, a, you know, a, a, a departing flight in Denver. So we had a layover. But as we're coming over the mountains, 
That was my first introduction to the turbulence that the Rockies create. And I'll never forget the woman sitting next to me. Her knuckles were white as a sheet. One of them was on my knee. (laughs) And she kept proclaiming, oh God, we're going to die. Oh God, we're going to die. Now, I thought to myself, I think she may be right. I think maybe we are going to die. But I'm going to make that my prayer. Oh God, (laughs) if we begin, you know, if, if we're dying here. This pilot says, turbulence is no big deal. So much about it seems dangerous. I'm thinking to myself, easy for him to say. But he argues that from the perspective of the pilot, turbulence is often a mere blip. Listen to what he says. For all intents and purposes, a plane cannot be flipped upside down, thrown into a tailspin, or otherwise flung from the sky by even the mightiest gust or air pocket. Conditions might be annoying and uncomfortable, but the plane is not going to crash. Turbulence is an aggravating nuisance for everybody, including the crew, but it's also, for lack of a better term, normal. From a pilot's perspective, it is ordinary, seen as a convenience issue, not a safety issue. When a flight changes altitude in search of smoother conditions, this is by and large in the interest of comfort for the passengers. The pilots aren't worried about the wings falling off. They're trying to keep their customers relaxed and everybody's coffee where it belongs. In the worst of it, you probably imagine the pilots in a sweaty lather, the captain barking orders, hands tight on the wheel as the ship lifts from one side to another. This guy says, nothing could be further from the truth. Actually, while the passengers are freaking out in the turbulence, the pilots are having a casual conversation and trying to drink their coffee. I thought, man, that is such a good image for us to remember who has the best perspective on what it is that's going on in our lives. So Vic, can we, can we put that last slide up? This is what Eugene Peterson says, his translation of Jesus' introductory words. This is your father you are dealing with. And he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. And then he goes on to translate the words of the disciples' prayer. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. Brothers and sisters, our obedience to this command to pray continuously, to pray without ceasing, to pray nonstop, speaks to the relationship that is ours by privilege. I love to think that God, when he hears the prayers of those who are his redeemed, his precious children, his heart's response is a father's response. He hears our prayers differently then he hears the prayers of those who aren't his children. And I'm not saying he doesn't hear their prayers. But there is blessing, there is benefit. If I can say it this way, there are perks to being children of the Heavenly Father. How are we doing with that?
are we, are we pressing into that on a daily basis? Are we, are we carving out time in our days for those prayer closet experiences? And are those clear prayer closet experiences springboarding us into the rest of the day living in this glorious relationship that is the privilege of those who are called the children of God? Praise team, why don't you come on up? And I'll close with just a couple more comments as you come. Brothers and sisters, this is an amazing gift. The nearness of our God. Even in those times when God feels distant, He is near. And I think the command to pray without ceasing is an opportunity to open this gift from God perhaps open it more widely than we've ever opened it, perhaps more than just peeking inside of it. Rip the lid off of it and check out the gift that God has given to us to live into a father-child relationship, to bring God near in our thinking, chatting all day long with the God who is near and loving. Certainly we express our dependence and our commitment to him when we set aside those, those prayer closet experiences. But I think praying incessantly without ceasing is about sharing the day-to-day, the moment-by-moment stuff of life, ups and downs, and everything in between with God, our Father, our Heavenly Daddy, who reigns over our lives and is intimately interested and involved in all that is a part of our daily living. May we live into that relationship and experience intimacy, praying incessantly all the days of our lives.